0: Hello and welcome to Tech Talk, an Eisner Amper podcast. I'm Fritz Spencer, your East Coast host in our technology and life sciences practice. And with me today is a very special guest, Gary Atkinson, CEO of The Singing Machine Company. Gary has taken his company through multiple funding rounds, uplisting on exchanges and successful ownership transitions. Today we'll be discussing strategy and consumer trends, financing and lending, ownership transitions and transactions. And today's conversation very well may give you a new perspective that influences your next business decision. Gary, it's great to have you today. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you, Fritz. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me here.
0: Awesome. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and to put a bow on it, give us the elevator pitch of The Singing Machine Company.
1: Sure. We'd be happy to do that. Like you said, my name Gary Atkinson. I'm, I'm the CEO of The Singing Machine Company. For those who maybe don't know Singing Machine, we are the worldwide leader in home karaoke consumer products. And I've been here now about 15 years with the company, actually, yeah, my 15th year with the Singing Machine. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. You know, prior to starting at Singing Machine, I, I, I had no consumer product or, or electronics or manufacturing background. I, I was actually um, in law school training to be an attorney. And while I was in law school, I, I'd always been interested in business. So I always knew even going into law school, I was never going to be a, a criminal attorney. I I knew I wanted to be in business, doing sort of corporate law, transactional work. And um, I had an opportunity while in, in law school to do a, a joint MBA program. So I did a, a JD MBA, um, which they offered at, at the school. And sort of at the time I had, so I'd graduated law school, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and was interviewing at different law firms to sort of start my corporate career. and. Um, this was back in 2007. And I got a call from my my uncle uh, who owns a large Chinese publicly uh, publicly traded uh, electronics, consumer electronics manufacturing company. And he, he had told me that he had just bought 52% of a, a small karaoke company down in South Florida. And he, he asked me if I was interested in relocating to South Florida and just helping keep an eye on the business. And so I sort of decided to take that giant leap of faith and, and took him up on his offer. And so 2008, I moved down to South Florida and again, didn't know anything about consumer products or um, or the business, but uh, was was very fortunate and blessed to have an opportunity to really learn from the ground up. And uh, here I am 15 years later. Great. Thanks for that. It's hard to say no to South Florida, isn't it? That, that You know what? That was the selling factor, yeah. South Florida. <laughs> <laughs>
0: now, as you mentioned, your company's in the retail industry. Can you tell us how your business performed this holiday season? and How does that impact your strategy moving forward into the next year or even beyond?
1: Sure. Singing Machine, we're a, we're a publicly traded company. We, we haven't yet reported our uh, third quarter earnings through the holiday season. So I can, I, without being too specific, since I, I don't want to talk about anything that's um, non-public, but I can talk sort of just at a high level as to the industry and retail in general. You know, obviously I think for most people who were following the news, I think it's no surprise that retail, particularly the holiday uh, fourth quarter was a challenging time period for retail in general, right? Uh, And we had this sort of strange environment where, you know, we, we had the pandemic, everybody was at home, everybody was shopping. Retail reported great, great, great quarters during the pandemic and then we kind of come out of the pandemic and now all of a sudden we're we're hitting with supply chain struggles and people are, and at the same time governments printing a lot of money there's a lot of stimulus checks that are going out so people are are shopping and so You know, despite some of the supply chain struggles, people are still out spending money. Retailers are doing well. Our businesses are doing well. And then all of a sudden last year, the printing of the money stops. The stimulus stops. We've got now, you know, inflation concerns. We've got the war in Ukraine. And that all had very, very significant effects on just how people, how consumers and shoppers in general felt about their lifestyle and, and, and how sort of rich or poor people felt. And so definitely, you know, that had an effect at retail. I think, you know, the industry saw it. We saw it. The effects that we saw was really kind of a late start to the holiday season. We saw typically what would happen is you start seeing a ramp up in sales somewhere around October. Uh, And the trend that, that I had heard this past season was really kind of a condensed shopping season, really instead of a two or three month holiday season, it really got condensed down to about five or six weeks where shoppers were definitely looking to buy, but they were looking for deals. Everybody wanted deals. And so if you weren't running promotions at retail or brands weren't offering promotions, sales from what I'd heard from others in the industry, sales were soft. Your, Your Black Fridays, your Cyber Mondays. Correct. So you started seeing a lot of people that were offering Black Fridays, and then just continuing those promotions onwards all the way up through the holidays. And that's, that was the trend of last year, pretty much across the board from what I've, what I've been hearing.
0: Great. Thanks for that. So how does that make you or force you to plan for your next year?
1: Or does that, that change anything in your goals or your expectations? Yeah, I think, you know, the words right now that I'm hearing a lot of is is really just conservative. You know, being very conservative in terms of inventory, not trying to do too much, uh, particularly at retail, because I think, you know, retail coming off of last year, it's it's so strange because two years ago, everybody wanted inventory. Inventory was one thing that nobody had enough of, everybody wanted it. Manufacturers like myself, we were all struggling to get product built and to bring it into the into the States. And then you go to last year where now all of a sudden everyone has too much inventory and retailers were as risk adverse to inventory as I've probably seen in, in 15 plus years. That was really the mood and, and, and- Don't don't overextend yourself. Don't overextend. And that's to the extent where we even heard some retailers that said, hey, we would rather have empty shelves and lose the sale than have too much inventory. I mean, that's literally, that's literally the conversations that we were hearing last year so. That, I think, will probably likely continue on through 2023. You know, there's a lot of talks about sort of a, will the economy make a soft landing? Will we go into a recession? I'm sort of hearing kind of a 50 50 split on how people think that's going to go. But not many people that I'm talking to are thinking that we're just going to magically sort of bounce out of this and go back to those those good economic times, I think we're still in for a fairly conservative 2023. So uh, that's that's the, the mood that I'm hearing is that be strategic. There's obviously still great opportunities out there, but generally speaking, you know, don't overextend yourself
0: and maybe stay within the wheelhouse. Right. Yeah. Expect the turbulence, but hope for a soft landing. I get you. Yep. <laughs> absolutely. And, and as you mentioned, um, you're in a public company that's gone through several rounds of funding and financing, you've recently uplisted. So, what do you say to people who think that fundraising is limited to pre-IPO
1: companies or startups? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think when I think about fundraising, I mean, I wish it was as simple as hey, you do an IPO, you raise a bunch of money and you're done, you know, and <laughs> and 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 I think that's rarely the case. I mean, there's probably a small minority of companies that are fortunate enough that They can do that where they're maybe just, they're kicking off so much excess cash that they can afford to never go raise a penny from the market again. But that I think is very, very, that's a very small minority. I I would say 99% of companies, particularly micro cap companies, access to capital is is their lifeblood. And so I I speak with a lot of companies where they have a full-time person who's sort of head of capital markets and all they do is look to raise money. And so, you know, I think that's, it's part of every company's thinking in terms of how to raise capital, how to do it in the most cost-effective and strategic manner that's not going to hurt or dilute existing shareholders moving forward. And so some of the things that we've done, you know, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to raise money, right? There's not not necessarily just issuing out equity. I mean, there's, there's debt, there's um, traditional bank lenders that you can work with that have revolving lines of credit and ABL facilities and... So we sort of we're fortunate enough we're big enough where we have access to revolving lines of credit and also our equity as a way to raise money but we we've we've done it i mean i went i went 14 years at singing machine where we never raised one dollar uh from the capital markets we basically lived off of our profits and that's how we ran our business but i do think that you know even a company like singing machine that's been around for 40 years you do get to a point where you, if you're not continuing to invest in the business and diversifying and keeping up with trends, you run the risk of of becoming stagnant, right? And be replaced by somebody else. So I think the way we look at it is we we want to continue to stay ahead of trends. We want to continue to innovate. We want to continue to sort of invest in areas that we think are going to give us the best return. And so that takes capital, you know, that, that just simply requires investment of capital to get into new areas. And so, you know, it's something that we, we think a lot about, you know, we're now that we've, uh, we just uplisted onto the NASDAQ last summer. And so we have this public vehicle now that gives us better access to the capital market. And so we're trying to determine, you know, what, what is the best way to, to utilize that. And there's a lot of different ways. I mean, if we had more time, we could talk a lot about the different sort of tools in the tool belt to, to go raise capital. But it's it's certainly an important part of any business, not just a startup, but even mature businesses need access to capital. And some of them may have sort of better uh, cost of financing where they can access bond markets or um, or do different things. But it's an important part of any business for sure. Certainly, you know you have to fuel the the growth one way
0: or another, and um, you know the capital markets is definitely a good way to start. Yeah,
1: to kind of go back on that too, I think. There's one actually there's one piece of uh, important advice is, and i I fell victim to this, and that's why I want to point it out and If you are running a company and you are looking to raise money, you know one of the things that I was naively naively thinking about is just because there's an investor that that wants to give you money, that doesn't necessarily mean that that particular investor is is aligned with you and the business you know and i've seen and I've personally fallen victim to this where. Particularly, let's say hedge funds or institutional investors—they're not always aligned with the best interest of the business. And so, I, I had thought, hey, if somebody's willing to invest money into the company, they must be—they must be excited about the business. They must—they must see a lot of uh, promise in the business. And naturally, their alignment must be the same alignment as mine and, and the company's. And you, I think you know, as as you start going down these these paths and you start taking money. You start to realize that that's not always the case. That there are groups, particularly I would say hedge funds, that when they make investments into companies, particularly microcap companies, sometimes there's a misalignment of interest. Where in many cases they may even be betting against you, which seems sounds contradictory. And uh, I wouldn't have really thought that that would be the case, but it happens. It really happens. And so I, I would caution anybody out there who's potentially looking to raise money. To just be very careful about you know, who they're taking money from and what are the terms. And that's another thing. Go find a good corporate attorney that has been through it and done it, that can counsel and advise you because it, there's a lot of traps and pitfalls into just uh, taking
0: money. Right. You know I've heard that resonate very frequently in, um, in the venture capital markets. I spend a lot of time in forums and, and the like. And The fit now is much more important than the EBITDA. You know, it's, are their goals aligned with us? Are we aligned with theirs? And that is so much more important than, you know, the bottom line these days. Because, you know, when you're aligned, you're running in the same path. And speaking of advisors, I want to circle this a little bit back to Eisner Amper. How have you leveraged business advisors like myself and others to help achieve your goals or even overcome obstacles or provide advice?
1: One of the things that's helped me a lot is... you you always want to surround yourself or find people that are smarter or have more experience or more expertise than you do in any given particular area so you know when we were embarking on this sort of journey to uplist to nasdaq we knew we needed to raise money but like i said i've been here 14 years we've never had the opportunity to to really access the capital markets. so i needed to find people that had had done it before me and that had walked that same journey and had made mistakes that I could learn from. And um, so I think it's really, really important to find business advisors, you know, whether it's uh, an audit partner like Eisner and you guys have been great. I mean, you guys advise us in ways where you're the experts, right? You guys know uh, better than we do and, and we always appreciate that advice. But it could be something as simple as just finding a, a really good attorney who has who lives in that world, you know, day in and day out. and can has seen the pitfalls and seen the tricks and and the traps and can advise you as a business leader uh, into into the right decision or at least counsel you. I mean, we we sort of ran into situations where we didn't unfortunately have great counsel, got into some deals that probably in retrospect you know weren't the best deals that we could have accomplished at the time, and a lot of it just comes from learning and experience. And and now we're fortunate that we found a a really great a really great great law firm that that specializes in a lot of these types of transactions and so we're we're better equipped now after going through what we've been through to really understand it you know and if you're going to take money and you're going to do do deals and transactions at least be your eyes wide open you know in t- in terms of knowing what you're getting into and i think for most companies that are particularly startups if they're if they're looking to raise money it's, it's not a luxury it's it's a necessity right they they need it they they need that runway to continue to meet payroll continue to build whatever product they're building and so you don't always have the luxury of saying no to people and, and not taking certain money. But at least if you do, know, know what you're getting into, eyes wide open. Well, I couldn't agree
0: more. And thanks for the kind words. So as you mentioned, you've recently gone through an ownership transition or a transaction. Can you tell us kind of what transpired there?
1: Yeah, sure, sure. So like I mentioned earlier, we, we had uplisted to NASDAQ. We were on the OTC markets. Uh, so we uplisted last summer, I think it was June of 2022. And we were really excited. And um, really, f- for the for the first time in, in my tenure here at Singing Machine, we were really standing on our own two feet. We had no majority owner. We had a very clean cap table. And so we had accomplished what our goal was, and we were really excited. And I had attended my first investor conference. This was at uh, LD Micro, which is a great conference for, for micro cap companies. That was out in LA. And we were taking meetings, and I was sitting there, and I was talking to an investor his name is Todd Alt and he asking me great questions and at some point in the middle of the meeting he kind of looks me in the eye and he says, "I like what you guys are doing. I want to buy 50% of singing Machine and I was sort of taken aback by that and I said in a very polite way I sort of said, you know thanks but no thanks. We're not looking for new partners at this time. And so I didn't really think much of it after that. And we finished the conference, we get home. A Couple days later, we start noticing our stock just starts going crazy. You know, it starts going from $4 to $5 to $6 and you know, trading millions of shares a day. And now I start thinking, oh my goodness, is this, that investor that we met, is he buying up all of the stock in the open market? And it turns out that was actually, Actually, what happened? It was almost a perfect storm where he had started accumulating a position in the open market on our stock, and you know, this is one thing that I guess my tale could give guidance to anybody listening today. I mean, we we had no poison pill uh, in place uh, as a sort of defensive mechanism for the companies, and so I remember kind of vividly that you know all of this was going on, and and I was on the phone with. With lawyers and accountants, and saying, you know, how what can we do at this point if we are being sort of acquired in the open market? What can we do to stop it? And so, you know, at that point, options of poison pills and things came up, and we just simply didn't have the time to to implement one. And sure enough, a few days later, Todd, who we had met back at LD Micro, had made a public filing. I think it's they call it a 13D report, uh, basically sort of publicly announcing that he had acquired 52% of singing machine in the open market, which is literally unheard of. I mean, nobody that I've spoken to has ever heard of control block of a company being acquired simply in the open market without any uh, helner <laughs> Yeah, no negotiation with management, just simply went into the open market and, and did it. And, and really, I think it was a perfect storm because we had uh, a lot of warrant holders that when they started seeing the activity in the stock naturally their first thought is oh well let me take advantage of this let me exercise my warrants and let me sell my stock and so we had a lot of people who were doing that at the same time and so they were selling their stock at the same exact time that this new investor was buying and so all of that stock was just going straight from from one hand into the other and i think without that happening, he wouldn't have been able to do what he did. So it's a cautionary tale, I think, for people who might find themselves in a similar position. I'm fortunate in the sense that Todd has turned out to be a, a great strategic partner for the business. Pleasure to work with. We've we've gotten along really well and shares the same vision for the future of Singing Machine that I do, and really, if anything, trying to help, to invest, to align all of the interests of the company to, to sort of maximizing what we could be, you know, in the future. And so I, I think, you know, from that extent, it actually turned out to be a silver lining to find a, a strategic partner and an investor that that shares that same vision. And I think, you know, some people may not be as lucky. So we ended up, it it's worked out well. I do want to say that it has, um, it has been a good thing for the company and for the management team here. So we're we're very fortunate and very happy. But it is a little scary when you're sort of faced with a proposition where somebody can acquire control of of your business essentially without any say from the management team or the board to that extent. So Right. That's very, very
0: rare and interesting story. I'm glad you shared that with us. And I'm even more glad that it ended up working out for you and that you and your new new partner could could align and, and be strategic as you said. Um, now, we don't have too much time left, but I did want to end with you know, one thing that we here at Tech Talk like to hone in on and is that is conversations are at the root of our achievements and successes. And my last question to you is going to be, what's one conversation that you've had that continues
1: to influence you on a regular basis? That's good. You know, So I think I was fortunate when I was coming up in the business, I had a, I had a good mentor. His name was Eddie Steele. He, he founded Sydney Machine. So he really built the business and and there was nobody on this planet that knew the business better than he did. And so he was a very instrumental part of my upcoming in into this business. And you know, like I said, I, I didn't have the background or experience in consumer products or sales, marketing, distribution, finance. So those are things I had to learn on the job. And I know there's a couple of conversations he and I had that even to this day, he passed away a few years ago. so, I don't get the luxury of having access to them anymore, but there are some conversations that still live on. And I, I I find them being replayed in my mind from time to time. And I think one of them was, we call it today like life-work balance. And for him, one of the things he kept telling me is, your family and your health come first. You know, as much as when you're running a business, it's so easy to get all consumed into running it because you're responsible for all of the people and, and and really everything. And And so one of the things he always harped on is, Make sure you put your family and your health first and the business second. That was something he always harped on. And, and that's, that's something that, that still lives on with me. I, I find myself, you know, with any time my wife is harassing me to take a vacation, <laughs> I, Eddie's words always live on in my head. And I say, okay, you know, let's, you're right, let's, let's do that. So that's one, that's one and if we have time the other thing that that he always really talked about was you know business is is a struggle, you know. I mean anytime you're you're doing sales, you're selling a product, you're you're growing, you're you're going to have problems, you're going to encounter things either external forces or internal forces that are going to create obstacles, create challenges that are going to knock you off your course and his messaging for with that is that that's just a part of doing business. If you're not facing challenges, if you're not facing struggles, he his attitude was, well, you're just not trying hard enough. you know, so anytime I run into obstacles, whether they're external to the business or not, that those words always live on in my head as well in terms of, you know, just because we're facing challenges or struggles doesn't mean that uh, we need to pivot and change our our business focus. That's not that's not it. It just means that we're doing business and we're we're it's hard. It's just inherently hard and you will always run into problems. And, and his attitude was you solve them day by day, you know, you break them down into smaller chunks and you don't get overwhelmed and you, you tackle what you can that day and, but they will always be there. They'll, they'll never go away. And if you ever have an expectation, the challenges will just all magically go away, you're, you're living in a fairy tale. So that, that always helps me put things in perspective when I think back to that. No pain, no gain. <laughs> exactly. Well, Gary, I
0: want to thank you again for having uh, this conversation with me and taking the time. Uh, it's been a great chat with
1: you. Thank you, Fritz. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This has been great and hopefully something in there uh, might help one of your listeners. I'm sure something will. That's a, that's a guarantee.
0: And, and also, I want to give a very special thanks to our listeners and for tuning into Tech Talk. I hope you join us on our next episode or visit eisneramper.com to view more tech news.